outline tonight, but I want to share some thoughts about revival. Notice the one letter in the word revive I want to focus on tonight is the letter I. That's, that's where God wants you and I to focus tonight, and especially in these next couple days as we enter into revival, is, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in my heart? Uh, revival, listen, is for me. <laughs> I know I'm the pastor. I need revival. Uh, I'm going to tell you, the devil is fighting. And it just seems like every time you turn around, there's something going on. And that's why we need revival. Now, I'm going to give you some things tonight, and we won't spend a lot of time, but I want to just share with you. And for some, again, I'm not going to take for granted that everybody knows what a revival is. I'm not going to go deep into the history of revival, but I do want to share a few thoughts with you. And maybe on your own, you can take some of what I shared with you tonight and maybe dig a little deeper. I think it's a great study when you think about revival. For instance, what is a revival? Somebody said, and Charles Finney said this, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's giving up one's will to God in deep humility. I think that's a great definition of what revival is. Again, notice the order of events there. The conviction comes because of sin in our lives, and then we see this matter of repentance, and then as a result of repenting, there is a desire to do God's will, and that's what you and I need to do. Finney said it right. Somebody said revival can be defined as God pouring himself out on his people. I like that thought too. God pouring himself. Listen, if we're going to have revival, the spirit of the Holy One needs to come down. God needs to pour himself out on us. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, A revival then really means days of heaven upon earth. Days of heaven upon earth. Uh, listen, folks, I am tell, I, over the years, I have been privileged to be in some meetings, some revival meetings, where I have sensed and felt the moving of God in those meetings. And honestly, when God moves in that way, you don't even want those meetings to come to an end. Some of the old revival meetings used to last for weeks and weeks. Some would go longer than a month. And it's hard to believe because now you talk about going to church um, a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, people look at you like, go to church how many times? But when God is moving Listen, folks, you won't mind being there hearing what God is doing. Because when you think about revivals, what is it, or should I say, who is it that actually sparks a revival? Can I tell you that the person that sparks the revival is the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit begins to move. And I pray during our revival meeting that the Holy Spirit will just go down every aisle, go to every chair in this auditorium, and touch every heart. And the Holy Spirit will move during a revival. Now, what happens during a revival? Again, just putting it into somebody else's words here, but I like the thought is here's what happens during a revival. God supernaturally transforms believers and non-believers in a church, a locale, a region, a nation, or the world through sudden, intense enthusiasm for Christianity. People sense the presence of God powerfully, conviction, despair, contrition, repentance, and prayer 
all come easily. People thirst for God's Word. Many authentic conversions occur during a revival, and backsliders are renewed. Look, folks, I don't know your heart, and you don't know my heart. But I can tell you this, all of us get there. All of us come to the place where we personally need to come back to God. That's why we need to have something like a revival meeting. Leonard Ravenhill said, Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that He shows Himself. You think about how many times people say this about God and say that about God, and I just love the fact that when God shows up, He makes it very clear what He wants us to do. And this is what revival is all about. Now, there's another word that not only revival, but there's the word awakening. If you're familiar with some of the revivals of of days gone by, the two words revival and awakening are really synonymous terms. Uh, They're used throughout some of our history as Bible-believing Christians. And somebody said the larger the geography a revival covers, the greater the tendency to call it an awakening. Now, I'll give, you, I'll give you some examples of that because just in America, now there's been revivals outside of America. Certainly, our nation was not founded until 1700s. But let me share a couple of these with you. The first one is uh, that, that we'll talk about is the, what's called the First Great Awakening. Now, you can see the dates there, 1734 to 1743. And this revival meeting took place in England and then it moved into the colonies, and they, they, they really say when, they, when they're talking about the colonies, it was mostly Massachusetts where this revival moved into. And men like Jonathan Edwards, Charles, and John Wesley, and a man uh, known as George Whitfield preached, and people were convicted of their sin. And they, there was a renewal of people's need for the Lord. Uh, they realized, I can't do it alone. I need the Lord. And it was during this revival, this great awakening in the 1700s, that they say an estimated 80% of America's 900,000 colonists, that's all there was at that time, 80% of them personally heard Whitfield preach. Now, somebody said that whenever this was going on, an observer was asked about what happened during this time when a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards who was pastoring a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. And here's what they said. These are the exact words. It pleased God to display His free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to a, the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. And you think about that. You know, again, they didn't have photography like they did back in those days, like we do now. And so here's, here's somebody's rendering of maybe a Jonathan Edwards standing up there in Massachusetts, thundering the Word of God, and people realizing their need for Jesus in their lives. You move past the first great awakening, and notice you see the, the second great awakening. Now, this was from 1800 to about 1840, and you find that th- this was another one that began in England. It also was in America. God began to move, and in America, they, they said that this particular awakening began to move in Logan County, Kentucky, 
And from that small county, it began to reach out and resulted in what was called camp meeting revivals. It began to spread and thousands of people were drawn to those camp meetings. And a man by the name of Charles Finney that I just quoted, he began to preach a fiery message of repentance. And, and not, only, not only Finney, but others during this awakening uh, said that there was a call, and I love this, the call of God was to everyone and to anyone. It was that all would be saved and that all would come to know Christ. And they say that Finney's career would eventually convert, during his ministry, 500,000 people to the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of this man. Now, you got to remember this in the days before these things. Uh, they would just stand and thunder forth with the leather lungs and preach the Word of God. And so we see this second great awakening. Now, when you get to 1857 and 58, uh, some of you may have heard about the businessman revival or the, the prayer meeting revival. It's sometimes it's called in New York. There was a businessman and uh, just owned a business but had a desire to see God move and to see God stirred in their hearts. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear. And Jeremiah decided to open the church at noon so that businessmen could come into the church and pray. The first meeting that they had, a total of six people showed up. But they prayed. They continued to pray. And it began to grow as they began to hold daily meetings. As the crowds began to swell, a revival began to break out everywhere. The, the great prayer meeting revival estimates that one million people were converted to Christ because one businessman wanted God's heart on his life and God's call for this country. And we see God moving in what is called the businessman or the great prayer meeting revival. Then you go to 1875 to 1885. This was the time they called the, the third great awakening. And this took place in Chicago. A man by the name of D.L. Moody began to preach the word of God. And he just made a simple appeal to the people as he preached. And here's what his appeal was. Jesus wants you the way you are. That was his message. He said, come to him now because he is coming back soon. Now you say, boy, that was a long time ago. And he was saying the Lord's coming back soon. He kind of missed the mark. Hey, if you read the writings of Paul and Peter and others in our Bible, I believed all of them believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I believe the Lord could come back today. He could come back at any moment the scriptures teach. And so the third great awakening happened. Then you see another revival called the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 to 1915. And this took place in Los Angeles, California. And a man by the name of William Seymour preached and the church was brought into a more harmonious community, bringing together both rich and poor, black and white, male and female, and the focus of that revival meeting was on the Holy Spirit of God. And the unique place that the church had as God's institution in the world to do His bidding. By the way, God has still chosen, even in this day and hour, to use the church as His vehicle to get the gospel to the, to the heathen, uh, to the Gentiles and those that have not heard. And so the Azusa Street Revival was again another stirring of God's Holy Spirit. And then the 20th century revival took place in 1910, uh, 1910 to 1970. And this actually was in many U.S. cities, but 
This is in uh, California. You see there at the Coliseum, the place is packed out. And uh, you see many that got up and preached in this day. Uh, two of the most notable cities was not only Los Angeles, but New York. Billy Sunday preached a direct and a powerful gospel message. Think about this. To 100 million people across the country. If you know anything about Billy Sunday, there's a good one to read up on. Billy Sunday was actually destined to be a professional baseball player and ended up being a preacher. He'd run across a platform and it looked like he was going to slide in. And I'm going to tell you, he was. He, they said he would pick up anything, throw anything. He preached against drinking and alcohol. There, a lot of times when Billy Sunday came into town to preach, the bars would close down. He, there were counties that would go dry because of the preaching of Billy Sunday. And then after Billy Sunday, of course, God called him home at an early age, maybe because of the way he preached, I don't know. But uh, Billy Sunday, God had used him and, and estimated one million or more conversions until his death in 1935. And then many of you have probably heard the name Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was another one that held the, uh, these crusades, and he entered the scene in 1949. And they estimate Billy Graham held more than 400 crusades in 185 countries. And uh, we may not uh, ascribe to everything that Billy, uh, Billy Graham did, but I'll tell you this, his gospel message was pure and people were saved as a result of the preaching of this man. And here's the question tonight, when you think about these revivals, although we were never there at these revivals because of our age, understand, do you believe that God can still move today? Do you believe we could still have revival in our day? And the truth is, I do believe that. You know, a lot of us, I hope your prayer is Psalm 85, verse number 6. Look at that verse. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Folks, we need revival. America needs revival. Churches need revival. Christians need revival. You and I, we need revival. There's no greater need for our nation, for our church, or for our own lives than revival. Look, back in the Old Testament, Isaiah wrote some words that I think we need to pay attention to tonight. Look at Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now look at Isaiah was assuring us through God's word. These weren't Isaiah's words, they were God's words. And he's assuring us that God is willing to revive our hearts. The scriptures tell us, look at what we see here. I want you to see what Isaiah is saying. In other words, what would revival really look like? That, you know, if somebody says, what is a revival? What happens in a revival? Here you go, look at number one. It looks like a holy focus. That's what a revival is, a holy focus. Remember what God's name is. His name is holy, the Bible says. He is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. As long as our focus, yours and mine, is turned inward, folks, we will not see revival. When we're looking to ourselves, we will never see revival in our day. We need a fresh focus on the holiness and the greatness of our eternal God Look, I want to experience revival, and I hope you do too, but we must once again give God 
the preeminence first place in our lives. And when we do that, we will see a holy focus and we will see God bring revival in our day. But look at the second thing it looks like. Isaiah said it not only looks like a holy focus, but he says it looks like a humble fellowship. You think about Moses approaching God, looked like a bush. He heard the voice of God. God said, take off your shoes. You know, I think a lot of times we approach God and we just kind of do it kind of flippantly. But I see here this humble fellowship. Isaiah said, I dwell in the high and holy place. Notice, with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Now think about that. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying that the high and lofty one, God, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, desires to dwell with us. Does that amaze you the way it amazes me? That God wants to spend time with me. I can go back and even see that in the garden, how God created man and God chose to come down and walk with man in the cool of the day. The Holy One wants to dwell with us. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that's nothing more than humbling, is it not? That God wants to spend time with us. And as believers, look, we understand that when we get saved, that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. The Bible says, look in 2 Corinthians 1, 22, who have, called, uh, uh, who have also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our Folks, He dwells in us. God is with us. Isaiah is reminding us that if we go to God with a contrite heart, with a spirit of humility, that we can have a special awareness of God's presence and the power of God on our lives. We need the Lord in our lives, but it comes through a humble fellowship. Look, when we are so filled with ourselves, guess what? There's no need for God. There's no room for God in our lives. We need to empty ourselves and, and we need to be dependent upon Him. We need to humble ourselves before Him and focus on Him. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves, guess what happens? He will revive us. That's what revival is. It's a holy focus. It's a humble fellowship. But notice thirdly, it also looks like a hopeful future. That's one thing I love about God. Look at what it says there in the last part of Isaiah 57, 15 to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know what revival is? It's new life. It's to bring back to life. All of us kind of get down. We kind of get away from God and we need a something in our lives. Look, it's not something that you and I can manufacture. Here's the truth is, it's something God delights to give us. Dr. Getch is not going to come with revival in, in a briefcase. No, God wants to give revival. God delights to give revival. And that's why we have hope. See, when God brings revival to a heart, there's no need that somebody would have to pump up someone uh, to, for, to, to get them concerned about the things of God. When we're consumed with God... And we have God's power. Listen, God can do great and mighty things through our lives. 
But folks, we need a revival. Here's the question tonight. Do you want it? Do you want it? Let me give you some things tonight. Look what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, we cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon His people once again. That's what I want to do is I want to run my sail up that when God wants to move and when God by His Holy Spirit wants to blow, that we'll catch that and get what God has for each one of us. When you study some of those revivals that I spoke about earlier, and there are many more, but each revival or each one of those awakenings are, if you study them historically, they all leave just like you'd see with a missile. They leave a heat signature. Here's what I'm talking about is, if you look at some of the revivals, for instance, in 1740, that revival, you know who led that revival? The catalyst to that revival was the youth. Teenagers. Teenagers got right with God. They got on fire for God. And you know what happened to a lot of those adults when those teenagers started to burn for God? They got a hold of that very same thing. And God began to move in an extraordinary way. I mentioned earlier in 1857, businessmen and prayer took center stage. In 1906, the Azusa Street Revival was decidedly interracial and and it began to move and God began to stir and you think about all those revivals they all have common themes and a lot of times I look for commonality I look for something that that Lord that's what I want and God maybe you'll send a revival to us and I want to share with you tonight some characteristics of revivals these are common things that are most mentioned when you talk about revivals or awakenings here's number one write it down is timing timing. Now you think about it because revivals emerge during times of spiritual and moral decline. Folks, we're living in a day of of no spirituality among people. Uh, Morals are out the window. Uh, You can't even really watch TV hardly anymore because of what they show. And you have to be careful about everything. Andrew Ginn said, God's time for revival is the very darkest hour when everything seems hopeless. It is always the Lord's way to go to the very worst cases to manifest His glory. And one of the things you see when you study it out is the, one of the characteristics about revival is the time that God brought a revival. Look at the second thing that we see is prayer. Prayer. You see, God puts a longing in the hearts of many to pray for revival. Listen, I'm not just talking to older folks tonight. I think even the young folks need to be praying. You know what Brother Kenny is teaching on in the teen department tonight? Revival. I didn't tell him. I didn't say, Brother Kenny, you better better teach those teens tonight about revival. Matter of fact, when I was printing this off, Brother Kenny saw my notes. He said, Pastor, I almost used Isaiah 57, 15 tonight for the teenagers. God just moving back there, and I'm praying that the teenagers will be praying that God will stir their hearts. Here's a third thing that we see common among revivals and awakenings is the Word, talking about God's Word. Folks, we need the Word of God, and that's why we've invited an evangelist to come to preach the Word of God and and to share God's Word, and we need to hear God's Word read, and, and God's Word will bring about that deep conviction and a desire that we need for the Lord. 
all over again. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the sunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. I need God's Word to dig deep into my heart. I hope that you feel the same way. Look at the fourth thing we see common among revivals and awakenings is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes people spiritually deeper than they've been, maybe ever, or maybe deeper than they've been in a long time, uh, to help us to accomplish things that we can't do on our own. And we need the Holy Spirit's power. I just wrote a note to Dr. Getch, and I said, I'm praying that God gives you liberty and power to preach what we need to hear. And that's what we need for this revival. A fifth common thing that we see among revivals is conviction. You see, as, as we've come together and we pray and we, we hear God's Word, the Holy Spirit begins to move. It brings about conviction, how sinners are affected. They have a desire to be more like Christ. Jonathan Edwards said, Resolution 1, I will live for God. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Kind of sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, Edwards and, and uh, Joshua, many others have decided that when God begins to move and God begins to break up that fallow ground, and when God begins to change their hearts, listen, folks, all we need to do is surrender, wave that white flag, say, Lord, whatever it is, that's what I want to do is your will. And then look at number six. What else do we see that's common among revivals and awakenings? Glory for God. Glory for God. You see, God gets the praise. God gets the honor. He gets all the glory uh, out of what happens in and through a revival. In other words, I'm praying that we'll see fruit from this revival. Not only people being saved, but maybe people getting right with God, maybe, maybe marriages being restored, maybe spirits and attitudes becoming right with one another. And listen, folks, when that happens, the only way you can explain it is it was God. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. And so that's a common thing. And then look at the last one. This is what it brings us to is reformation and renewal. That's what a revival will do. It'll produce lasting fruit. Charles Finney said, A revival may be expected when Christians have a spirit of prayer for a revival. That is, when they pray as if their hearts were set upon it. When Christians have the spirit of prayer for a revival, when they go about groaning out of their heart's desire, when they have a real travail of soul. A real travail of soul. And tonight, that's what we want to do, is we want to take this opportunity, and as God has hopefully been speaking to you, I, I want you to take that little bitty card that you had in your outline tonight. It's just a simple little card, but it's a nice little method here that we can use tonight. You can use this, or you can use something that maybe you have, but if we're going to have prayer for a revival, we use the word prayer. Notice Pray for personal conviction of sin and spiritual brokenness. Now, again, don't pray this prayer for someone else. Pray this prayer for you. Pray this prayer that God would speak to you. The R, repentance, 
and spiritual power. You know what it means to repent, to turn away from sin, and to turn to God. And we need repentance in our lives, and we need power to help us to, to live the Christian life. The letter A, awakening for lost souls around us. How many of you know a lost person? Raise your hand. I think almost everybody in here tonight knows somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Right now, you might be thinking of a loved one, a neighbor, a co-worker that does not know Christ the way that you do. And you know in your heart, according to the Scriptures, that if they don't get saved before it's eternally too late, that they will spend eternity without God. And every one of us should take their names tonight and over these next couple days and beyond the revival and pray that they would get saved. Pray that God would use you. I used to think, I don't think I could ever do that. And I'm not very good at it even to this day, but I'll tell you, I have rejoiced every time God has given me the privilege to take the truth and show somebody how they can go to heaven someday. What a blessing it is to see people saved. And then notice the why, yearning for God's word and his presence in our lives. Does the Bible just become another book to you? It can get that way. We used to tell college students all the time, the easiest place to backslide is in Bible college. And the reason we used to say that to them is because, guess what their textbook was in every class? The Bible. Now they had other books. But we get to the place where, myself included, we, don't, we lose our hunger and our thirst for the Word of God. And what you and I need to say is through this revival, God, help me to get that hunger and desire to eat and drink your word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so let's take some time tonight. And as we conclude, I'd like for you maybe to find someone. If you're here with your spouse, certainly you can pray with your spouse. Uh, if you're a man and you don't have somebody sitting there with you, maybe look around, find another man, ladies with a lady tonight. But I don't want anyone praying by themselves. Let's all find someone tonight. You can use this card. And, of course, you got your prayer page. But let's pray for a revival. Let's pray that God would stir us, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.